Let's open up our Bibles to Luke chapter 24. So, we are now at the, the very last stages of Luke. And you might think, oh my goodness, we've finished Luke today. But wait. No, we are doing the last passage in Luke. But Andy is going to come along next week and do the second to last passage of Luke. So we will be done. But not today, alas. So we're reading this morning uh, from Luke uh, chapter 24, verses 36 uh, to the end of the chapter. But rather than just kind of reading all through it, I, I kind of think it'd be good to uh, go through this verse, verse at a time, perhaps. There's, there's kind of three sections to this section. So, so Jesus appears, and he's with the disciples. And the first section is kind of when he says, Hello, I'm back. So we're going to first deal with the hello, I'm back section. And then there's the, and this is what happened to me and why section. And then there's the, and this is what I want you to do and why section. So we're going to work through those, each in their own order. So the first thing Jesus does is he comes and says, hello, I'm back. And I think we sometimes miss the comedy in this initial scene. And let me, let me kind of draw it out to you. English translations don't help much. So while they uh, were still talking about this, so they're still talking about the fact that they think they've seen Jesus, Jesus himself stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. They were startled and frightened thinking they saw a ghost. So there's a, there's a comedian called uh, Chris, Christopher Morris, and a few years ago he had this show called Brass Eye. It was kind of a, a mock news show, and they do various news segments. And they did this one segment on technology. And he said, one of the issues that we have to face is so many people are still afraid of technology. And the proof he had of this was he has this clip where he's holding this giant sign that says technology, and he's just walking down the street. And as he comes to a passerby, he goes, technology! And the person obviously <laughs> jumps. <laughs> so there you go. People are scared of technology. Obviously, it's more likely that the person wasn't expecting a stranger to shout technology at them in the middle of the road. So the context of what people say somewhat determines our reaction to it. And peace be with you is not normally the thing that makes people go, ah! So when we're reading this and, and it says peace be with you and they were startled and frightened... You have to think, what's going on here? And as I say, English translations don't really help because a, a kind of a very literal, over-labored translation might be something like, and uh, while they were talking, in the middle of their talking, Jesus happened to be stood there and then kind of interjected, peace be with you. It's as though, we don't know because Luke doesn't tell us, we don't know how long Jesus was standing there thinking, wonder what I could say. <laughs> I know, peace. Peace be with you. Ah! You know, the, the one they weren't expecting to be there. Jesus. So he kind of makes this startling entrance. Peace be with you. The scariest peace anyone has ever experienced. Why is it such a scary peace, though? Is it just because Jesus is there? Well, they think they saw a ghost. You would probably also be frightened if a ghost said peace to you. Why did they think they'd seen a ghost? That's not rhetorical. You can really answer that. Why did they think they saw a ghost? Because they thought it was dead. When you see a ghost, the one thing you don't think is, aha, this person must be alive. So um, the Iliad, very famous book uh, written by Homer. 
has this scene in it towards the end. So I in the Iliad, let me introduce you to some characters if you don't know them. There's Achilles, and Achilles is the greatest fighter in Greece. And his foster brother, who he's grown up with, his best friend in the world, brothers in arms, Patroclus. Uh, Patroclus has been killed in this fight. And Achilles, when he finds out that Patroclus is dead, just goes absolutely ballistic. And he just goes into the battle and he's killing people left, right and center. But then as he comes back to his camp, there's this scene where he sits there uh, asleep and he's startled awake because the ghost of Patroclus is there. And Patroclus says to him, you're spending all this time fighting trying to avenge me. And you're not spending any time giving me a proper funeral. And Achilles tries jumping at him to give him a hug because he's so happy to see him again. And as he does that, the ghost of Patroclus kind of wisps away like smoke. And Achilles says this. So, so he spoke and he's, he uh, grabbed his arms around Patroclus, but he could not grasp him. Like smoke, the shade of Patroclus slipped away, squeaking away below the earth. Achilles jumped up amazed and he beat his hands together. His words were full of sorrow. So it is true after all. There is a shade and an image of the dead in the house of Hades, but there is no real substance to it. In other words, seeing him was proof that he is dead. Not confirmation that he's come back to life. Or, that's somewhat high culture, if we go to pop culture, Obi-Wan Kenobi appears before Luke in the second one after he's been killed. And this is proof. He truly is dead. So when they see Jesus... The reasonable assumption is, I guess he really is dead. But then what does he do? It's quite funny, really. He says, why are you troubled? Why are doubts arising in your minds? Look at my hands and my feet. It is I myself. In other words, okay, look, see, right, I'm here. Look at my hands and my feet. It is me. Touch me. And see, a ghost does not have flesh and bones as you see I have. Achilles grabs Patroclus and he fades away. Jesus says, come and grab me and you'll see I am really here. When he said this, um, he showed them his hands and feet and they still, not <laughs> they still did not believe it because of joy and amazement. It, this is more like, and they couldn't believe it because they were so full of joy. And he asked them, well, sorry, let, before we get to that bit. So Jesus is here, and he says, look, look at me, right? Look, I'm real. I'm really here. Uh, this body that was dead is alive. Now come and look. Touch it. Touch the wounds. Feel how physical I am, right? You would think after that that they would say, right, okay, we really get it. You are back. This is a physical body. But then look at this kind of flex that Jesus then does. Do you have anything here to eat? Because we know that ghosts can't be touched, but you've touched me. We know that ghosts can't eat. So do you have anything? They gave him a piece of broiled fish. And I just love this. He took it and he ate it in their presence. No one's ever been so amazed by watching someone eat fish before. Yeah? Can a ghost do this? Yeah? Yeah? You know, it, it's just this, this, so this whole scene is about proving to them this really is me in a physical body flesh, bones, not a ghost, I was dead, and I am alive. I can eat, I can touch, I can talk to you, you can experience me as I can experience you. 
Why does Jesus do this? Why spend so much time proving that he really is there? Why the eating scene, for instance? Why does Luke choose to include that? I'm not sure if you would include that bit if you're writing it down. Jesus saw them. They, they really got the grasp of it that you know, Jesus was back. Oh, I'll also include the bit that he ate in front of them. It seems really important to what's gone on with Jesus to explain that he is back now because what does this say about what he's gone through? Now, if we go back to the story of Patroclus, for instance, or Obi-Wan Kenobi, in both of those things, their death is evidence that someone else has won. They killed me, Patroclus, now give me a burial. I lost. I've been defeated, and yes, I may be back in some form, but it's not really quite as good. The Roman Empire is the most powerful thing the world knows in the first century. And the most powerful tool they can use to show you how powerful you are, we are is, if you try and cross us, we'll kill you. And if they really want to make the point of how powerful they are, and we're going to kill you and anyone who does the things that you do, we crucify you. That's not just death, that's death on steroids. And Jesus comes back and he says, yeah, the actual body that they crucified me with, the actual one, you see, I've still got the holes here, this very one, they couldn't beat it. The most powerful thing that the most powerful thing on earth has at its disposal is not powerful enough to deal with me, Jesus is saying. That's a big statement to make. It's not, they killed my body, but guess what? I've got a spirit that lives on. What are you going to do with that spirit? Not much. I can't even eat fish. No, I'm back, and I'm going to carry on doing the things I did before I left, having dinner with my friends, talking to them, opening up the Bible with them, as we'll see in a second. So this first scene is just Jesus making it really clear, hey, I'm back, and it's really me. Now, I wonder if you could have an opportunity, an afternoon perhaps, to spend some time with uh, Jesus on earth, with you, in the room. I wonder what you would like to do with him. You may have lots of questions for him. You may uh, just want to talk about stuff together. But I wonder also, what would Jesus want to do with you? I think we might have certain ideas on either of those things, if I had five minutes to talk with Jesus, if I had five minutes to hear what Jesus had to say to me, I think this passage tells us what Jesus would do, because he tell, it says here, he said to them, this is what I told you while I was still with you, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets, and the Psalms. He opened their minds so they could understand the scriptures. He told them, this is what is written, that the Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations. Beginning at Jerusalem, you are my witnesses of these things. I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. I think it tells us that Jesus would want to spend time with us doing a Bible study. Uh, Bible studies don't tend to be very glamorous things, but Jesus clearly thinks that they explain enough to open our minds to understand everything that he's about. So we've gone through the here I am, it's really me, and now it's the this is what happened to me and why. And the point Jesus says is when we go to the Bible, the whole of the Bible, not just the Gospels, the law of Moses, 
the prophets and the Psalms, it is all about me. And so the more we spend time in it, the more we come to him. Why is it important that we know the law of Moses, that we spend time in the law of Moses? Because it is about Jesus. Why is it important that we hear the voice of the prophets? Because they speak about Jesus. Why should we sing the Psalms and make them our songs? Because they are songs about Jesus. And I I love this little phrase that Jesus says. It's not just this is what is written. It's this is how the scriptures are written. That's, again, a a literal um, kind of an overlabored translation. And that's not the same thing as this is what it's about. So if I said to you, for instance, a superhero film is written like this. There's someone who's a bit of a nobody, and then they have this incredible experience, and they end up with powers. Then they solve a few crimes, learning to use their powers, and then there's the big baddie, looks like they're going to lose, and in the end they win, and then everything gets resolved. That is kind of the format of every superhero film. doesn't matter what you're going to go see, that's going to happen. There's going to be a bit where you think they're going to lose, and then they don't. There's going to be a bit where they get their powers and explore them, so on and so forth. So if, you said, so if I said to you, this is how a superhero film is written, I'm talking about the formula. That's the phrase Jesus use, uh, uses here. This is how the scriptures are written. The Messiah will suffer and rise from the dead and on the third day be raised. And repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all the nations beginning at Jerusalem. In other words... We're not saying that there are a few passages in the Bible which happen to talk about Jesus. I'm not just saying, yeah, most of the time it doesn't, but like Isaiah 53, Psalm 22, these ones are about Jesus. The point is, the whole Old Testament is telling us about Jesus. The whole Old Testament is telling us this story that the Messiah is going to die and on the third day be raised and his name will be preached for the forgiveness of sins to all nations starting from Jerusalem. This book is his book. This is why he thinks it's important. The first thing he does after he's eaten some fish and scared them by saying peace is to just spend time studying the Bible with them. Don't underestimate the Bible study. It can be very unglamorous. It can be slow. But through it, you can find life in Jesus. It's also possible to not do that. Jesus is rebuked to the Pharisees. You spend time studying the scriptures and yet you miss them because they speak about me. The issue there isn't that they spend too much time in the Bible. It's that they spend too much time in the Bible while ignoring Jesus. Let's do the opposite of that. So what had to happen, Jesus tells us? The Messiah had to suffer. He had to suffer. That was necessary. He had to take on his people's sin. He had to be the lamb that could bear the load. And he had to rise from the dead on the third day. There was no way that death could hold him down. He had to rise from the dead. And repentance and forgiveness of sins are preached to all the nations from this. What he has done has fulfilled the whole story of what's come before. And there is no more kind of story to write except the telling everyone about it now. Making sure it gets everywhere. Making sure everyone is impacted by this fact that the Messiah has suffered and he has risen. So this is what happened and why. The empire tried 
and they failed. God tried, and it worked. If we just pick up a line that we've already read, but verse 47 downwards, it then says this. Repentance for the forgiveness of sins will be preached in his name to all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. When he had led them out to the vicinity of Bethany, he lifted up his hands and blessed them. While he was blessing them, he left them and was taken up into heaven. Then they worshipped him and returned to Jerusalem with great joy. And they stayed continually at the temple, praising God. So, hello, here I am, I'm back. It's really me. This is what had to happen, and why. I died, I suffered, all those things, but now I'm alive. This is what you need to do, and why. Come with me. We're going to go to this mountain. And he's, he's told them, you are going to go from this place outwards. Every nation needs to hear about this. But don't try to start until you have been clothed with power. So come with me. We're going to go to this mountain. And Jesus comes and he blesses them. Blessing them, blessing them. And it says while he was blessing them. In other words, he didn't get to the end. Amen. Right, I'm ready to go now. He was still in the middle of blessing them and was taken away before their eyes. That's significant because Jesus never finished blessing his people. Jesus is still in heaven now blessing his people. He didn't get to the end of his sentence. They then worship him. They return to Jerusalem with great joy and they stayed in the temple praising God. Now, before we look a bit at what our mission is from this, I just want to make this really clear. Who's the first person to do the blessing? Jesus. He was blessing them. And while he was blessing them, he was taken away. When you get to verse 53, they stayed in the temple praising God. The word there for praising is the exact same word, blessing. This is a really important structure that we understand. Which one comes first? Do we first bless God and then he goes, good job, I'll bless you? Or does Jesus bless us more abundantly than we could ever know and then in return we kind of give a feeble reply of blessing him? The latter. Do not try and bring good things to God. Do not try and bring blessing to God unless you first comprehend the fact that God has blessed you more abundantly than you could ever bless him back. He blesses them, and then in response, they go into the temple and bless him. So, this mission. I've died, I've suffered, I'm back from the dead. The empire, the most powerful thing you know, the thing that summarizes power on earth. Well, sorry, that couldn't cut it. I'm bigger. So now I'm going to send you as my witnesses to go and tell everyone else about this. But you need to be clothed in power. Why? This is a big job. When Jesus talks about salvation, the disciples say, how can anyone be saved? And Jesus' response is, with man this is impossible. With God, all things are possible. 
So Jesus is now saying to them, I'm sending you into the nations to tell them about the Messiah who's died and risen from the dead, and uh, there's forgiveness of sins available in his name. And that is an impossible task. No one's going to listen to you. Everyone is fixated on their own honor, glory, power. Sin makes it so that people won't want to listen to your message. But don't worry. I don't want you to go yet. Wait for the right clothing. I love, I love the fact that Jesus uses the word clothing. You'll be clothed with power from on high. It's not like, oh, I'm going to give you this real energy buzz. I'm going to give you this uh, fire, maybe. It's the image of like, well, you're not going to go into battle without your armor on. Wait in your tent until your armor has been put on. Then you can come out. Wait for power from on high, not a power from in yourself. Don't go back and meditate and think a lot about what Jesus has said to you. Yeah, you know, this actually is really good news. Okay, I'm ready to go out now. No, wait. And then the promise that the Father has promised, I'm going to give to you and you're going to be clothed and then you can go and do the job. That's really important to understand that we can only do the mission that God has called us to do and we are included in that category of you are witnesses to this. We can only do that job if we realize that we're clothed in God's power. Try and do it in your own strength. If you try and come up with the best way to convince someone to become a Christian, well, it's not going to work. Jesus' words, with man, these things are impossible. With God, all things are possible. So, get the right clothes on. Now, I would say, if you are a Christian, you already have the right clothes on. You might not realize it. You might be like a knight that's still sitting in the tent, thinking, well, I can't go until I've got my armor on. Look in the mirror. It's on. So start talking. Start witnessing. Start telling people about the Messiah who died, who couldn't stay dead. Who came back? Who is alive even now in heaven, blessing his people, sending them forth on this mission? We have a job to do. Now, just to say, let's just go back over this again. This job does not earn us favor with God. We have this job because we already have favor with God. He blessed them, then they bless him. There's no kind of point system. I have made 10 converts this year. Oh, very, very good. You're online to be an elder. It's not like that at all. We go because we love. We go because we love Jesus. We go because he loves us. We want people to know. We want to love those who don't know. We have a good message to declare, a message which has a very long book explaining and thousands of years of anticipating And now we get to live in the light of it. And we can say, hey, the thing for which the whole of creation exists for, I know about it. Would you like to know more? So Jesus is back, and he's not going anywhere. They tried their worst, and it didn't work. Why did this happen? It had to happen. God has promised it was going to happen. So what do we do about it? We go. Wherever we are, we go. Anyone who doesn't know, they need to hear. We have a world to tell that the Messiah 
would suffer and rise from the dead on the third day, and repentance for the forgiveness of sins is to be preached in his name to all the nations, beginning at Jerusalem. They completed Jerusalem a long time ago. We're on odium now. Let's do it. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he fulfilled the plan perfectly. Lord Jesus, your suffering was not in vain. Every strike, every whip, every nail was achieving something glorious for us. And that now as you stand in resurrection power, able to bless your church, able to eat fish with your friends, able to empower us to go and do the impossible, we pray that we would do just that. Help us to see the clothing that you have clothed us with. Kick us out the door. Open our mouths and our hearts with a love for the lost and a love for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.